Hi guys, welcome back to a Life Educations podcast. Uh, it's myself and Caroline again today. We have Anya Talyard. Is that right? That was correct. First well done. Time. First time correct. I've had trouble with that many times <laughs> in the past. Um, you are a qualified biokineticist from South Africa. I'm a qualified biokineticist from South Africa. So do you <laughs> want to tell us a little bit about you and then explain what a biokineticist is? Yes. So, okay. Basically, I grew up in South Africa. I studied in a small town called Potchefstroom. Uh, my first degree is human movement science, which is basically, um, pe people know it as sports science. And then I did my second degree in biokinetics. Biokinetics is basically sports rehab and bio is life and kinetic is movement. So it's basically rehabilitating anything from injuries, from uh, medical conditions, anything like that, and using exercise to to rehab. Um, that is that is basically biokinetics. So then I worked in Santon Mediclinic for a year um, with the orthopedic surgeons there. Mainly we did hip replacement, knee replacements, and then rugby players' injuries. Um, and then I moved to Dubai two years ago, um, worked as a personal trainer the first year, building my, my client base up, and now I'm basically only doing sports rehab and things like that. So what led you to go into that when you were deciding your school pathway, your university pathway? Well, I, I was always into sport. I always, I've always done sports, but I always had injuries. I've always had some type of tear here or some imbalance here and it always intrigued me of why something why is it not working and I always went to physios and they would I would injure my hip but they would work on my knee or they would work on my shoulder and I never understood this how how they can work on my shoulder but my hip feels better um, and that's that's when I learned about the whole process of biokinetics and and how it works um, I'm intrigued would you mind delving into how it works and what what are the principles behind rehabbing somebody so it's basically the main thing is to understand the pathology of the or, or the injury. If you look at injury, the, if you know the mechanics of the injury and you know the anatomy of your body, if you know, say for instance, you have a knee injury and you know the mechanics of how you hurt the how you hurt your knee, you know the joints, you know all the muscles. Then um, we usually would do a full biomechanical assessment, looking at the way you move, um, what muscles are too weak, what muscles are too tight, and then according to that, there's a certain amount of principles that you apply to each joint, to each injury, and then according to that, you go through the whole process. For instance, ACL would be a nine-month process of of building up, starting from scratch working your way up to return to play basically going back to field and doing full sport if mm -hmm. you look at injury or if you look at um, sickness say you had uh, diabetes d diabetes for mm -hmm. instance then you would you would do a full medical screening beforehand um, to know what the person's sugar levels are like are they diabetic diabetic type 1 or type 2 because that's going to have an influence and then basically work with the client but you always have to know what the pathology is and what would affect it because training exercise is fantastic for any type of sickness, any type of injury, but exercise can also be bad for it. So if you don't know how to implement it correctly, say for instance with diabetes, if you um, train your type 1 diabetic late at night and you have a heart session, you can actually cause that person to go into a diabetic coma. So it's all about mm -hmm. implementing the correct exercise to the correct pathology. Wow, that's really serious. <laughs> yeah, I lived with a guy in England who did the biokinetics Biokineticist, biokinetics degree. Yeah, it's a bi you call me a biokineticist, but it's biokinetics. Uh, so bio, he did biokinetics, and he was yeah. telling me about it. And it, that's a tough course to get through. You have to do like, you got what is in the, the top thirty or something in your sports science degree. 
or is it something small? Yeah, top 10, top 15. It depends mm-hmm. on how big the group is. So yeah. in our university, um, we were the top 15 yeah. that, got sele- uh, that got selected for ours. Um, you have to do practical hours before that as well. So before the application process, you have to go work for 40 hours beforehand. And yeah, like in a placement. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you really have to. It's not an easy course to get through. They don't churn out anybody out of that course. I was super impressed with that um, when he was telling me about it. So I can sort of know what kind of caliber you guys are but you also you said you also touch on uh you do the pre-postnatal you do general personal training um and then you do some work with cancer patients yeah i've had a i've had a few cancer patients i absolutely love working with the cancer patients because it's you really see a good result of how a small amount of exercise can make them feel better um cancer patients are in such a sometimes a bad mental state and they feel bad and the chemotherapy or whatever type of treatment they have they feel they feel bad and it's amazing to see how uplifting the exercise can be for them even a 30 minute small workout makes them feel fantastic make i've seen people train through chemotherapy um they would it sounds horrible but they would go throw up and they would come back and do exercise and they just feel better for it afterwards so it's really it's it's so rewarding to to work with cancer patients as well what type of exercises or what type of program would you go through with someone with with cancer you know it's so difficult to to say there's actually no guidelines even if you look at the the american sports council there's no specific guidelines for cancer because everyone's response to treatment is different and then their response to training would be different as well it also depends on what type of cancer so if you had for instance lymphoma or you had leukemia um, you as a trainer must then know that their immune system would be off. Say, for instance, they had leukemia, they will be on immune suppressants. So then training them in a general gym would be the worst thing for them because they can get sick quicker. Mm. So every type of cancer is different. If you look at someone that had breast cancer, for instance, that could affect their bones. So their, frac- their chance of getting a fracture would be higher. Mm. Um, Why would that affect their bones? The hormonal, the, there's such a hormonal okay. fluctuation on that. And then also if they get radiation or chemotherapy, that can also then um, make them weaker. That can affect their range of motion. Um, some cancer patients, they find it hard to even stand for a few minutes or kneeling down. Small things can have a big effect on them. There's also the fact that, for instance, um, um, a, a second com- comorbidity, basically, of not comorbidity, I don't know if that's the right word, but... Um, secondary to cancer they can get cardiac conditions so then you must you must make sure to to track their cardiac cardiac respiratory system make sure they're okay in that so every single cancer patient is different if you understand what type of cancer they had and what type of treatment that you had then you can basically alter it the only guidelines they they mainly give you is to say that it can be between 30 and 60 minutes and moderate to vigorous exercise and then what you do in that space is literally up to you i've had a client where the one week she was fine and we we could do vigorous exercise and then the next week she would come in and she would be so weak that she could not stand for five minutes so then you would take it down and work a bit more on range of motion things like that so when you say uh 30 to 60 minutes moderate to vigorous that's just that's that's so general it's so broad it's so general that's why i say that you must look at the type of cancer they had and the type of treatment yeah and according to that you must work and you must be flexible you can't write a full macro macro program for them or a full um 12 week program for them because it can differ so much so what kind of pattern would you see with somebody i mean what was the most common cancer that you worked with can you remember leukemia and breast cancer so how would they differ then from the when somebody arrives at the beginning of their treatment to when they're leaving their chemotherapy treatments? 
Well, they are usually just fatigued and tired. Um, a lot of the girls had muscle wasting, so their their muscles were they they were not able to even with body weight just move their hands, move their legs, and throughout the course of training, just to walk in a good posture, you know, uh, to to hold themselves upright. They had so much more energy, even though they felt sick and nauseous. They had more energy to even go run on the treadmill slightly. So. Um, energy levels was a massive thing and range of motion was actually quite a big thing as well because they struggled to get full range of motion. Everything is slow and not in full range. So that what they might intuitively think that they need to rest. Yes. You kind of like, look, let's get you doing something to make you feel a yes. little bit better. They, they actually advise, even if you go through vigorous um, treatment, that inactivity is not advised. So even if you do the lightest walk or the lightest movement, even the few stretches, it's good just to get your body moving. Because being inactive just makes you regress even more. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people would think that, you know, I'm just tired, I'm just exhausted, uh, the doctors told me to rest and just let me to see this chemo time period of time out and then I'll get going after that. Yeah. Um, and then you would see the girls was it females only you worked with? Or? I only had females, yeah. yeah. And then would you see them after the chemo was done in order to help them, you know, get back to full fitness? So with the one girl that I had leukemia, I actually, I saw her after bone marrow transplant. For the, um, so not during treatment, but only after bone marrow transplant. And then the breast cancer lady I had while having, tre while having treatment. Right. And how do those guys, like, how do they respond to the training? How do you see them improve? Oh, massively. Like uh, the the girl with leukemia was a was a bit slower because her immune system was so down, and she she was in bed rest for almost a year. So um, she had massive muscle wasting, and it was quite tough on her to get back. Um, now she's fully functional, walking, running, everything. She's back to normal life. She fought cancer completely. The breast cancer she had um, one breast removed, so it, they also took one of her lymph nodes which also also means that that affects her immune system quite a bit but um back at it after four months we worked through training uh, through treatment after four months of treatment and everything done she was she was fine she fully functional yeah ready she yeah. then started doing like barry's boot camp and things oh, like that's that that's awesome yeah and wh how do you know like how do you find out what these differences in cancers, how they affect people. I presume you have to look into the medication that they might be taking to see what side effects they are. Do you just take it case by case, by case and research it, or is this what you were taught on your degree? It's in one sense, it is what we are taught, taught in our degree. So part of our degree is to do um, exercise physiology. So it's the whole physiological system and how exercise affects that. And part of that there is cancer is one of the one of the things that we cover. So you do know the broad spectrum of how to treat cancer patients and what to look out for and how it, how th that physiologically affects your body. Um, but also it's it's a lot of reading and it's having a very good relationship with their doctor as well because okay. their doctor, they don't always know what they're going through. So it's the best to actually contact the doctor. The doctor will know what type of treatment there is, what the treatment is really doing, what the dosage are. So it's having a good relationship with the doctors as well. That's important, isn't it, with a lot of different things that we speak to. That you need to have a communication, like little community or little triangle of, yeah. of conversations about everything. You, you, it's a, it's very similar almost to the principle behind a complex trauma. Like when you yeah. have someone who comes in with, who's had a, an, an accident and they've got broken bones, they've got operations, different operations they're trying to recover from. There's no guidelines. You just have to sort of 
you just have to rationalize it and work it out for yourself almost and just build up at an intensity that, that the person is able to do. Exactly. And everyone's response is different. Yeah. Like your response to chemotherapy might be completely different to my response. So it's literally taking every client individually and working day by day, even hour by hour sometimes. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned uh, by working with cancer patients that might differ from working with other populations? <laughs> the biggest thing is to to really take it hour by hour. If mm -hmm. if I have an ACL rehab, for instance, I've got a full plan, and even if they sometimes complain that oh I can't do this, my leg is or my muscles are tired, you kind of always push them through that. Where with a case with a cancer patient, it's a little bit different. You can push them only to a certain ex extent. I'm not really one with a lot of empathy. I have or sympathy is more the word. I have sympathy, but not as much. And I learned a lot of sympathy with cancer patients because they really push themselves. They, you can see that they feel sick, but they still keep on pushing. So it's, it's that small boundary be between pushing too hard or not pushing at all. That, mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing that I've learned between cancer and normal, normal patients. Is there mm -hmm. any South Africans who have a lot of sympathy? I don't think so. <laughs> well, no, that was very my, my husband wished. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband wants oh. he wants sympathy all the time. I bet. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it does. It does open up a whole spectrum of of what potential struggles people are going through when you work so closely with people like that. Who are, I had a family member who who had breast cancer, and uh, it's something you don't think about, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's there in front of you. And I, not even that I had to suffer from it, but I had to try and find a way to support yeah and it's like whoa okay i need to i actually know nothing this is something i never even thought about yeah you know the the exercise benefits to somebody who's going through them getting blasted by radiation like how, yeah. how do we fix that what do we do it's good to know that there is people working on it you know yeah. there is it's not just oh you have this right well go to your chemo and we'll see how you are when you're done exactly it's, it's like no there's there is actually something we can proactively do because that helps settle the mind. Exactly. They have some sort of control over what they're doing, whether it's a placebo or whether it's actually going to make them better. Exactly. And it's also about planning for future as well. Because people that had cancer, there's always that fright that, that, that fright that it would come back. Where if you then focus your energy on training and getting a good training program, getting through the treatment, and then post-cancer, working your way into a good, healthy fitness life, it, it changed your your mindset a little bit and takes that fear away of it might come back more into I'm working on my body I'm working on my health I'm being as healthy as I possibly can um, so it, it puts them in a, in a better mind frame as well would you have a lot of uh, like I don't know what the right word is would you you must end up just talking to your clients you know and, and educating them through the sessions rather than actually just in them through the exercises exactly it's it's a lot of education small education H why stretches are important as well why it is important to walk properly with the right gait. why it is important to eat all the different colors of food you know it's it's small things that 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 they completely forget about they're so focused on the treatment and getting better that they forget everything else on how to treat themselves correctly yeah so and would you find that it's sort of a general health deficiency that that maybe led them into suffering from cancer or were you getting really fit people that were it, you know because that's a big you could you could really literally change someone's life 
by just giving them advice. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe maybe you can enlighten me on this a little bit more. But from what I've read, it's there's a genetic, obviously, component to it. That's a genetic predisposition, and then obviously an environmental like trigger. Is that what you learn in your degree? That is potentially a root cause as to why some people develop cancer. Um, in our degree, there's there's a root and how people develop most things, but cancer is kind of not one of them. Um, obesity, diabetes, metabolic disease, anything like that is, you can see a big difference from, from people that are active and have an active lifestyle and not, but cancer is not one of them. It's it's one of those things that your body can create this this disformed cells. It's it doesn't really matter if you trained before or not. It's it as you said, it's a genetic predisposition if you have it or not. That's important to remember, isn't it? Because, like, I would consider myself fit, healthier, blah 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 blah, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get a bit sick, go to the doc, and you're told, okay, you need to. This exactly. is this is your life for the next year. I mean, Lance Armstrong, how fit do you need to be? Do you know, like, mm-hmm. this exactly, this that's but a very good example. Again, I think. I agree with you entirely, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, a lot of other components to it. That it's not just about being fit and healthy. There's a lot of research that uh, shows that there's lots of toxicity that can also contribute to the development of cancer. Exactly. C- yeah. Particularly because these days, say, as opposed to 100 years ago, where we had very small amounts of, of toxic chemicals constantly in in our food supply in our cosmetics in the yeah in the products that we use um there's some research that says that it's up to up to about sixty thousand chemicals uh that are within like the local ecology of what we do and consume so i think that's a huge contributing factor as to you can be really fit and healthy but if your toxicity levels are huge and your liver is not able to process those things then and you have a genetic predisposition I don't know. Please yeah. correct me if I'm just yeah. talking rubbish. No, I, I, I no. totally understand. It is where it's saying that we're not doctors. We don't know. So exactly. n- nobody listening mm. should take too much advice from <laughs> us. We're just literally yep. spitting ideas and <laughs> thinking and as we're speaking them right now. But uh, yeah, they do. But in that sense, like so much gives you cancer now. You know, your mobile phone gives you cancer. Your laptop yeah. gives you cancer. Coffee gives you cancer. Like, I'm in trouble. I've There's got all three right now. <laughs> There's things that can, that can worsen it. You know, mm. if you have it... If it's in your body and you don't know you have it, there's things that can definitely worsen it. If you mm. have a lot of moles in your body and you're constantly in the sun, of course you're making it worse for yourself, you know. So there are things that can mm. definitely make it worse. Um, so having a healthy lifestyle is always advised. It's mm. it's always better to hel- have that healthy lifestyle, have that healthy nutrition, look after what you eat, how you train, because um, it can definitely make it worse. Did you notice, so when you, in your studies in the guidelines, aside from those two very broad pieces of advice, did you notice that there was like uh, this type of cancer? You should be very cautious um, with this type of cancer at this end of the spectrum. Right, we can really push you because exercise is going to get a really good response. Is there any sort of spectrum like that that you were made aware of? Um, no, not not really. Not not that I can think of at the moment. But I, what I do, what I can say is that something like leukemia that affects your whole body, all the it's your blood, right? So everything mm, that usually affects them a little bit more. Like for instance, someone that had breast cancer or had um, a carcinoma or something like that. So um, there is, but once again, everyone's response to it is different. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I wonder will they ever get a handle on that? Like, will they, will research ever catch up? Because the first port of advice is is like 
let's not do anything that's potentially going to make this worse. Let's yeah. just focus on what we know will help, and what we know will help is the chemo. Yeah. You know, it kind of get falls in line mm-hmm. with the alternative medicine. You know, yeah. you can. Let's not focus on this because what we definitely know works is the chemo. So let's yeah. just push you through the conveyor yeah. belt of chemotherapy. There's a lot of nutrition, like functional medicine, um, nutritional therapies for cancer that have to do with eliminating toxicity and then hypernutrition. So really like feeding all of your cells, fixing like yeah. all of the mitochondrial problems yeah. that are happening. Um, so that's from what I've read. And I 100% believe that, you know, like... Um, mm, me too. If you have a homeopath, they use natural medicine to heal you. I use exercise to heal. So mm. everyone has... this. There is so much outside. There's so many people that specialize in different fields. So I do believe that science and and healing cancer for future, I think there is definitely a chance. I think there's there's much more to explore, though. Yeah. I wonder how hard it is to study it because... How do you pick a control group? Like, how do you pick a group to say, this group exercised and did chemo? We made this group not exercise, yeah. just chemo. You can't, yeah, yeah, you can't really do that. Yeah, if somebody, you yeah can't especially with something that has such a, uh, a broad range of environmental triggers, yeah. potential. And especially with now, with all of the science of epigenetics, being able to, to turn things on and to turn things yeah. off and to change them just through through what you do, it's, yeah, it makes the variables really big. Yeah, yeah. And, and the mm. outcome, uh, we found that exercise helped these 500 people and uh, some other type of sleep 12 hours a day didn't. Yeah, So exactly. these 400 people unfortunately passed away in the name of this control group and so on. You can't do it's that. Yeah, you can't make that study. So I, won't, I don't know how they do it. I wonder if they just... Yeah, quite interesting though. So I did something recently um, as a Christmas present. I got like a genetic testing thing. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. How exciting, for right? For you or did you give it to someone else? <laughs> no, for me. Did you do so, it? So um, I've put my saliva into a little tube and sent it off. Um, so I'm really curious as to what's going to come back and what... So I was trying to be ambiguous as possible and not tell them my heritage to see what they came up with. Yeah. Um, but there was all of these really interesting questions in one of the questionnaires. And it was, you know, do you have this particular disease? Do you have this? Would you like to know if you have this, this and this? And I was like, yes. Oh, I that's know. so interesting. What were those? What were those? Yeah. Do you need, like cancer and stuff? Um, no, to be honest with you, I can't remember what they were. They were really ambiguous, and there there was a lot of genetic diseases that they could they could say, oh well, you have the genetics or well, the genetics for these mm. particular conditions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's as far as I got. I didn't. So what did they test on that? It's it's your your DNA deep down. Mm. Yeah, to tell you where you come from and what your heritage that's is. So, interesting. so I could be like, you know. Everything. Can <laughs> I ask you about blood transfusions? Does that affect it? I don't know. Probably. Was that on the list? Because no. Caroline had a bunch of blood transfusions. Oh. She has like 800 different people in her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm made of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. To be honest, it probably doesn't because it probably goes. I think. To a layer deeper than yeah. That. Well, I think after three years, all of the blood transfusions that I've had have assimilated, and I've made them my own. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. they are mine now. <laughs> That's interesting, though. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when I was 
14 or 15, I had genetic testing for, uh, there's something called a uh, DNA diet, where they test your genetics and, and see how your genetics, genetics would affect your what you would eat. Um, it was also very interesting to see, for, um, me and my mom did it, for instance, and she was very good on high fat, high protein, where I was not advised to eat high fat, high protein at all. I was advised to only eat low GI food, things like that. And also when you look at training, I can't remember much of it. It was quite mm. a long time ago, but even my training, how they said, look, I was a sprinter when I was younger. I always did 100 meter, 200 meter. So explosive works. I'm, I'm more strong than I am endurance. Um, and you can see that from the, from the DNA testing as well, that they said that my my strengths lie in strength and power and short distance, just from the genetic testing as well, and how mm. then you can you can alter your training and your nutrition accordingly. So that was quite interesting. Wow. That's really interesting. When when did you do that? Oh, uh, I probably did it eleven years ago. So really? Yeah. So they were working with technology ago. from two thousand and eight, yeah. two thousand nine, yeah, or seven even. Um, why did you do that at that age? Because you're you're quite a competitive athlete now. Yeah. You're saying back. To what do you do now? If you want to just give people an idea. So um, at the moment I'm I'm a triathlete. So now I'm doing endurance, which is not in my genetics. Yeah, you I'm just said that's what. That's yes. what I was going to poke at. You're doing. Yeah. So I'm doing endurance. I'm doing. I'm training for half Ironman at the moment. But um, back then I was quite good in um, sprinting. So 100 meter, 200 meter, I was at national level. Um, so we 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 were tweaking the small things. You know, we had training up to optimal we had everything up to optimal but we didn't know much about malnutrition um so that's why we did that testing b back then just to see how we can make the smallest details count yeah the little marginal gains yeah so uh they what do they do they test your blood they test your we also did the saliva test oh that's yeah. so just from the saliva just from the saliva and did you make the changes that they recommended I don't know, I can't really remember. <laughs> My diet has been so up and down, you know, like technology now, ketosis is a good diet, then yeah, intermittent yeah. fasting is a good diet. So things change mm -hmm. so much. But in general, I can feel that if I eat a high fat, high protein diet, I do not feel as good as when I eat low carb. Really, yeah? Yeah, Lo uh, low GI so carby carbs, but just ha you have to have low GI. Yeah. That's very counterintuitive to what yes. people are told in, as a general health yes. and uh, nutrition kind of advice um did your mom make the changes yeah she did and did she find improvements yes so th that test was worthwhile then yeah. at, at that stage yeah and also with with the training i know they say for instance for fat loss that's the one thing i remember you know um sometimes if you run on the treadmill or so they will give you the amount of mets that you are training at so nine mets or ten mets um I can't even remember much detail. I just remember that they said, for my genetics, I must be training 12 mets on over. Really? That's high intensity to get the same benefit. So for me, they said, in order to lose fat, it's not about the long, slow endurance type of things. It's more about the high intensity, according to my genetics. This is very interesting. This is something yeah. I didn't know about. I'm sh I wonder if there are people Googling dna mm. diet right now to see well that yeah. also falls in line it's not so much dna diet but it's also have you guys ever heard of the blood type diet yeah, yeah. they look at your blood type and then recommend particular types of food and types of ways of eating yeah. based on on what your blood type is based on the ancestry of where your your blood developed from yeah. um they're probably very closely linked potentially because you're I'm really I'm, I can't explain this, but your blood type and your DNA are closely exactly. closely linked. Yeah. So it's probably the same 
route? I always tell people, I always tell my clients that if you are on the blood type diet or on whatever type of diet, if you're in a calorie deficit diet, you are going to lose weight either way. Mm. So it's, it's then easy to say that, yes, if my blood type diet worked. Um, if I, I think if you have the same amount of calories that you would normally eat on a blood type diet, that would be quite interesting to see. Because mm. mainly this blood type diet or the DNA diet, for instance, you, you are in a calorie deficit. So you would see some, some weight drop. But I wonder if you eat the same amount of calories that you would every day and then do that, how that mm. would affect it. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting? I've read so many nutritional books about different healing modalities, using diet. And I think at the end of the day, the same rules apply. Just don't eat processed food. Eat food yeah. as natural as possible yeah. and a variety of them. 100%. And as long as it's all coming from like natural sources diminishing the amount of toxicity and it's healthy and green and it's varied so you're eating like all the colors yeah all the colors including meats and vegetables and fish and eggs but everything is as natural as possible and organic as possible then like you're good if you're eating like total junk food like hello wake up any diet that you do is going to going to make you feel better because it's moving in that direction Um, and then just aware of your calories yeah, that's just okay. my personal no, opinion. No medical. Look, I think I think you're spot on with that as well. Just that calorie. People need to be aware of their calories as well because when I make people count their calories, they're always surprised. Okay. Like, oh, really? Yeah. yeah, but you'll be... Do you know what I find so amazing? You can eat the biggest bowl of salad in the world and it's like 300 calories. And then you go eat one chocolate bar yeah. and it's like... <laughs> like, you know those tiny little roses? There's like 60 calories in one <laughs> chocolate. Like, I can eat the whole thing. <laughs> it's Having ridiculous. It's Christmas, I can agree with that. I can uh, do yeah, so it's like, okay, I'm going to have one chocolate or I'm going to have this ginormous bowl of salad. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a really good book and I recommend it to loads of people and my my sister's husband was reading it when I went back to Dublin recently um, The Paleo Solution by Rob Wolf and in that he makes it very he makes it very crisp and clear but without explaining what the book is re- people should look it up and check it out if they want a very layman's terms like, w- like starting point for, for cleaning your diet up but he essentially says you can have 600 grams of biscuits and you can have 600 grams of carrots right when you look at how fast can you go through that full packet of biscuits just taking one and eating it, taking one and eating it, and you're going to do that whole 600 grams. Take your 600 grams of carrots, you might get through one and a half carrots before you're legitimately full. Mm. Just because the type of food that they are just makes you full. So by that principle, your calorie intake is going to be much less. Yeah, that's so true. Because you're not just churning through those. That's a good way to explain that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stealing that one. It's it's Rob Wolf. I stole it from him. (laughs) Um... But yeah, the the DNA diet, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. I never yeah, heard I must actually look up. Maybe I still have my results somewhere around. But what you said about, you know, the calorie deficit, you're going to see good results. That makes a bit of a difference. That diet makes a bit of a difference when you're talking about an athlete who's trying to get the marginal gains. Exactly. Mm. That's th- that's what I why I did it that time. And why I'm still now with the Ironman as well. You're eating to fuel your body. You know, I'm I'm literally eating every day to fuel and to be ready for the next training session. So it's not about being in a calorie deficit or losing the weight. It's just about making sure that your body is is right so that you can go do a 150k cycle or whatever it is. So how does your diet look now then? Um, what ve- kind of training load are you doing now? Let's start with that actually, and then. So I'm half Ironman training. So half Ironman is 1.9 kilometer swim. 90k cycle and a half marathon run so 21k run back to back back to back um so 
at the moment, I'm, I'm not strict on my diet, if I'm 100% honest with you. So I eat the right amount of carbs. I eat the right amount of protein. I try to eat half of my plate to be a salad or vegetables. I eat carbs. I eat, I know maybe you shouldn't, but I, I eat pasta, things like that. Um, my, my diet really varies day to day. It depends on how hard my training session is going to be. So if I know we have a hard training session, I would eat between... 2,000 and 3,000 calories a day. Um, if it's a lighter session, then it's it's 1,500 to 2,000. So it really depends on the, what type of training I'm doing that day. So you're pretty much counting your your calories and your data crunching all week. I'm not. No, to be honest, I I know how I feel when I train. So I know more or less if I eat. Uh, say for instance before a race you would think that people say that you should carbo load before a race we usually eat a nice fillet steak 200 gram fillet steak and salad mm -hmm. and maybe a small bit of potatoes before a race so it's I just know what what food make me feel good what foods mm. make me feel bloated and I just go with that I don't count my calories if I'm honest with you I don't I've got too much other data yeah. and training happening to count that as well so how does your week look then from from start to finish with your training your like bike cycle swim kind of thing yeah so basically uh sunday morning usually starts with the masters swimming so i do a uh, group swimming the master swimming um and then sunday during the day we would e either have a run or a cycle it's usually a recover sunday is a recovery day so it would either be 90 minutes of running and cycling but low heart rate our training is all based on heart rate so recovery sessions for us would be 65 percent of maximum heart rate then Mondays are usually swim sets. Um, Tuesday mornings we have in our team, I'm part of a team called T2A, Try to Aspire. So we have our brick sets on a Tuesday morning. So 5 a.m. every morning we go bike and run. Whether it's a long bike and a long run or high intensity, it's up to our coach. So that is that what a brick set means, bike and run? Brick set is bike and run, yeah. Um, Wednesdays is swim Thursdays is run and then weekends is long that's where you get all the hours and that would usually be 100k cycle 120k cycle and 90 minutes run sea swims a little bit longer work do you love it I love it do you? you hate it but you love it you know it's one of those things where it's so hard and you it's such a mental fight I fight with myself <laughs> like this voice in my head goes crazy <laughs> in a race and you hate it, but it's so rewarding afterwards that you, it's so addictive. Because <laughs> you're, you're not just doing it recreation, you're doing it to compete. I'm, yeah, I'm doing it to compete. So this, this Ironman, this half Ironman would be my first one I'm doing. So it's, I'm kind of in between race and, and race hard and, and cause I'm trying to qualify for world champs in Nice of this year. Yeah. So, um, one side of me is like, race your first race as hard as you can. The other side is like, oh, it's your first one. Chill it out and just just go with it. So mm. it's, uh, once again, you're going to have to decide on that day how you feel and then just go from there and just push. You're just going to go for it though, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I'm you kind of competitive. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a number in my head. When is that event? That one? That the is the 1st of Feb. It's the Ironman Dubai, 17.3. So I'll be around about the time that we, that we get this out. Um, and then when is, the, when is Nice? Nice is in September. 20th of September or so something. So you could just chill in February and then do another one you could, in yes. the meantime. Yeah, so every Ironman branded race um, is a qualify is a qualifying race. So the there's 20 qualifying spots per age group. So if I don't do this one, if I don't do well in this one, you have another opportunity to do to qualify before September. 
and uh, your husband does it as well. Yeah, he who recently started doing it with me. So my husband was he wanted to spend time with you. <laughs> he wasn't seeing you. <laughs> to be honest, though, it it is quite tough. So when he when he didn't do it before, I would wake up every Friday 4 a.m. Every Saturday 4 a.m. Then during the week, same thing. He wants to go out during, uh, say for instance, a Friday. He want to go s- stand up paddleboard. And I'm so tired. I just want to sleep the whole day. So it is quite tough. So since he's been doing it, it's really, it's a nice thing to do together. And now we're also planning our holidays together. So our holidays are planned around races. So for instance, we d- went to Thailand recently because it's one of the m- most well-known races there. So it's a nice right. thing to do as well. So now you can be completely wiped out and exhausted all weekend together. Exactly. <laughs> it works. Yeah, that is cool. What, what, is he going to compete or is he just doing it for fun? Yeah, he, um, he was planning on competing. Um, unfortunately, he was a professional rugby player a while ago and he got a career ender. Um, so he got a bad knee injury where he tore every, every ligament in oh, his really? body and he was paralyzed from knee down, something called drop foot. Mm-hmm. Um, went through big recovery and when he started doing triathlon, his knee wasn't completely ready so he felt a little bit of pain a little bit of pain and um recently it got quite bad after the thailand race it got quite bad so he went back to the doctor unfortunately it looks like he needs another operation so for now he's going to cut it down a little bit but hopefully get that done do proper prehab do proper rehab and then get back to it as soon as possible are you going to help him of course does it that dynamic (laughs) works okay it it works okay to a certain (laughs) extent (laughs) yeah i bet sometimes you got to pick your battles oh it can be tough (laughs) it can be tough (laughs) um yeah that's cool that'll be good for you guys just to try lots of people do that don't they They travel they book their holidays around the events it's so good it's a it's a nice way to see the world you do your you plan the event so that that's first and then you have a week holiday afterwards it's really it's and you don't pick up the weight at holiday because we usually like pick up a bit of weight on holiday you know you, you enjoy yourself so that also it keeps you on track because you're just exhausted flat out for two days after exactly <laughs> and you s- you train while you're there it's so say for instance thailand it was so beautiful the bike course was so beautiful that we just wanted to go do the biking again you just want to go s- swim in the sea again so it's a nice thing That's to do cool. outdoors yeah what other holidays planned destinations would you would you do um so we're definitely doing thailand again i'm going to do that race for the rest of my life it's a fantastic yeah. race yeah what's so the race it's in Phuket. Um, it's a bit different than the average distances. So it's uh, 1.5 kilometers in the sea. Then you run over the sand into 500 meter fresh water. Now that is an absolute killer. For the guys that swim, um, going from seawater to fresh water is something completely different, especially if you don't have a wetsuit on. So you just feel like you're sinking as soon as you go into the oh fresh really? water. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a difference. Um, anyway, and then it is only 50 kilometers bike, but it is super hilly. I remember this year I got off my bike because I could not go up all the way. And it was so hilly that I even had to take off my cycling shoes. I was walking on my socks. And if you just look up, there's 50 athletes in front of you all pushing their bikes up. So it's super tough, but it's so it's so beautiful. Yeah. And then it's a 12 kilometer run. I would highly recommend it for anyone. So what are the distances that you just said? Back to back? 1.8 in total swim. 50 kilometer cycle, 12 kilometer run. So it's doable. It's 100% doable. You just said you have to get your off your bike and push it. Yeah, but it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not <Yeah>. that bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I might just find another flat area and just <laughs> no. running again. Yeah. Um, well, you just finished a marathon, right? I yeah. know. Yeah, ran a marathon in Vietnam. Um, Crazy. A f- few weeks ago. It was really good. It was basically, it was 40, it was 42K. So it was 21K out along a coastline 
in Heilong Bay, U-turn and then back. And Heilong Bay has all those little islands that pop straight up out of the ocean. Those little like bauble style islands. So for the first chunk, it was really beautiful looking out over the ocean. Then you just got off into the countryside. But um, yeah, it was mostly at sea level and it was a massive bridge over the, from one headland to another. So lots of hills, talking about hills, lots of hills going up to the base of the bridge. The bridge wasn't too up and downy, and then undulating hills on the way back. So that was maybe s between five and nine K that distance. So all the way, U-turn flat, all the way back, everything going great. Um, started to struggle a little bit. I was like, right, just get to the bottom of those hills and then you can just walk up the hill and then like catch your breath and then go again. But it was actually on the way down because at the top of the hill, before we got to the bridge, there was like a down, up, down, mm. up, down, up. And on the down bit, my quads started to oh, cramp. Always. So I got a massive scare because I didn't want to cramp up completely. So I d decided then I was going to walk. I walked 100 steps, ran 100 steps, walked 100 steps until I got across the bridge and back down. But frustratingly, my GPS and my watch, the time kept going, but the GPS stopped. And I didn't realize. So I'm looking at my watch and I've got like seven kilometers left oh. and i'm looking at the time and i'm thinking god i'm gonna come over yeah. five hours like i better pick this up but if i run i'm gonna cramp so i was having and when you're that exhausted arithmetic doesn't work in your brain <laughs> like i don't even know if i could I have used a calculator my brain was so fried because i couldn't work out how long and how what time and what split i had to do i was just completely done but got to the bottom of the hill and there's a sign because it was really poorly signposted. Mm. Got it, saw a sign 4K to the end. And I was like, oh, I thought I had seven. Oh, so well I didn't believe good. the sign. I was like, is that wrong? Is that Who's this for? The 5K people? What is this? So as I'm jogging anyway, I, I, one of the 445 markers ran past me. And I was like, no, I'm not finishing behind these guys. So I tried to keep up with them. Couldn't keep up with them. The next guy ran past me and I thought there was only two. Um, so I ran, 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 ran. And then they were both waiting at a corner and they were like, the finish line is just around the corner. And I didn't realize there was a third guy coming up behind me. So they were waiting for their, the guy who was actually keeping the 445 oh. pace. They were just going fast, get some water and then waiting. So ran in a 444, 24. Fantastic. The well done. The photographs have the 445 guys behind me like, <laughs> with their white balloons. And I'm just like, <sighs> just elbow crawling over the line. <laughs> Um, but it was good. The guys, my clients who came with me, they were, some of them did the 10K and the 21K that all went out and came back before me. So they were all at the finish line. One of the girls who was her first marathon, to her amazing credit, she finished in 4.17. Wow. Uh, she came sixth in the ladies competition. Um, wow. Around about 19K, she started to pull away from, we ran the whole way. We were chatting, small talking about Vietnam, how beautiful it was. And then about 19K, um, she started to just drift off and I sort of thought I don't know if she's going too fast but I'm at a real comfortable pace here so I'm just yeah, going to stick at it and then she was just U-turn and she was gone so they were all at the finish line clapping and cheering which was like that little bit of extra motivation yeah. to, to get you to so picked up the pace thought I was sprinting <laughs> over the finish line <laughs> like I was like yeah I really opened my stride lifted my knees <laughs> heel flick I'm like yeah make it look like this is easy make these people think that it's, you're, you're doing well about five meters from the line, everything cramped. <laughs> Literally, like I just got electric shocks in my hamstrings and quads. I just had to slow up and walk. So I just walked across the line. And then when I look back at the video where the guys were videoing me finishing, 
my run is like a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. The run yeah. that I thought I was like high knees, yeah, yeah. arms the swing. Same bolt. It's worse <laughs> than what I thought. So who knows what my worst run was around that last corner. <laughs> Oh, I, don't, I would so hate to have seen it like it, I don't know what it was <laughs> going to be but I finished it 4.44 I didn't quite get the goal I had of running the whole thing mm. I wanted to run the whole thing from start to finish but yeah I'm really happy I don't know what my splits were because that that split 7 was like 25 minutes long oh, that 7th yes, yes. last kilometre was well you could you could do another one oh, so <laughs> I don't mind doing another one in the future, but not in Dubai. Yeah. Because the prep that you have to do, and I don't take this advice if anybody's in Dubai listening, this is just a struggle that I had. Uh, the event was November, so we had to train in August, September, October, which is super hot. So that meant you have to be out running at 5 a.m. Because if you're finishing any time after 8 it's it's death. It's you're so hot, especially if you've already been running for an hour or two hours, or you're yeah. planning on running an hour into nine or ten a.m. So you've got to end up doing like two and a half hour runs, three hour runs close to the event. So that just means you've got to go at five a.m., yeah. which is fine if your husband or your wife is willing to go with you. But when that starts to eat into your night before yes. and your week before, where like I need to just like if you're in the my point is if you're in the UK or Europe or in Australia where the the weather's a bit more temperate in the middle of the day. Yeah. You, you can enjoy your, your usual life and then go out running at 10 a.m., mm. finish at lunchtime without melting. But in Dubai, it's just, for me, it's just too hot. So please don't let me do another marathon <laughs> in the next <laughs> <laughs> while I'm here. Or, or plan it so you can train in wintertime. Yeah, I did too in winter, but I even th that's mm. also equally difficult because the heat still well, gets you. Well, yeah, to put both of you to shame, I'm going to run the 10K. Hey. <laughs> I know. Which <laughs> like one? <laughs> the standard charted one. Oh, in, that's uh, fantastic. In like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Good. <laughs> that's yeah, good. good on you. That's very good. Caroline uh, gets foot pain in her feet when she runs. So... I'm a recovered, injured person, <laughs> not recovered entirely, but um, yeah. So running is really hard for me because I can't walk for like days and days yeah. and days after. So yeah, so now I've built up to the point where I can run 6Ks awesome. and still be like, I can still wake up the next day and not be in agony, which is amazing. That's fantastic to have yeah. broken that many bones and, and biomechanically mm. you are completely altered. So to, mm, to go yeah. do that, to even do 5K, that's that's fantastic. Oh no, good work. It's motivation. Yeah. <laughs> have you booked it and paid for it? Yeah, I booked and paid for oh, it. Oh, wow, All amazing. Done. I know, I'm really scared. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be, you'll be good. Yeah. No, I'm going like, to die. <laughs> this little body has not run 10Ks. Are you doing it by yourself? In like, yeah, in like years, in like years, years, years. So... Cool. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. If I need, if we'll you see me support. the next day with crutches, <laughs> you'll be like, oh, you, you got them from well, your closet. Yeah. In your closet. As long as you're they not in a wheelchair closet. and as long as you're happy with how it went. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I like, even if I walk, I'm happy. So, anyway. Yeah. And I know, uh, I know the biokinetics who can help you with the rehab. Amazing. Um, yeah. You got can. you sorted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm going to have a little prep talk with my feet. Like, you guys, you can do this. Come on now. You can do this. You remember this. <laughs> We used to do this before. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. well done. Yeah, and uh, still a broken back. Amazing. Yeah. I'm running 10Ks with a broken back. <laughs> no, that's, that's seriously, that's amazing. 
we'll see how door. it goes. As long as you're still standing when it's finished in yeah. the next few days, it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I just wanted to put you both to shame, <laughs> your little Iron <laughs> Man <laughs> marathon. Yeah. No, this is the kind of thing that speaking to people on this podcast has made me sort of appreciate is like uh, the complaints about things that I have are pretty minuscule in relation yeah. to what they could be. Oh, because you're talking to me now. <laughs> talking to you. Well, yeah, a bit. Well, I've been talking to you for years. I always make you feel better about yeah. yourself. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit down. I pick up the phone. Caroline, how are your feet? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I need to, well, to be fair, it's like, right, I need to just slap out of my little soft dramas and just get on with it because it could be way worse. Yeah, everyone has mm. their... Everyone has a worse situation than you have, right? I yeah. think that comes as well. Like you kind of said at the beginning, uh, it's not that it, I don't have any sympathy for people, but when I have people who complain about A, B, and C, and I've worked with uh, serving military men who all they want to do is get back to work, and they've been seriously broken and serious, they feel seriously hard done by by a system, like, and then you know with with the recovery that you had to face and people like that, it's just. You, you do lose sympathy, you shift. I wouldn't yeah, say you lose, you shift. Sh- yeah. yeah, You shift your sympathy for a look, white collar office man, your foot's sore. Yeah. Like, come on, you're doing nothing about it. Yeah, I agree. As opposed to, I have these other people this morning who are really badly hurt and they are doing their utmost to improve and they're looking after everything and they're juggling a family, they're juggling a job, they're juggling a business. And you seem like it's the worst thing in the world that yeah. you can't go and get on your $10,000 bike and go cycling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. it does kind of... Rehab, I think, shifts your perspective on how things could be. It does completely. And it also, it kind of reminds me some days, if I look at the people and how hard they can push themselves, it makes me realize that I can do so much more. Because sometimes, you know, when mm. you run, you get that self-pity. Say, for instance, in the triathlon, uh, the last 5K, you hate your life and it's so hard. And it's sometimes, uh, honestly, I'm reminded of my clients and how hard they can push yeah. themselves. And with a guy, I've got a guy now with the ACL um, reconstruction and he's pushing himself every session that he's lying on the floor and he wants to puke. And it's... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> good on him. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me that s- someone else is pushing them so themselves so hard. You can do this. You can push yourself a little bit harder than just running and feeling fatigued. Yeah. Yeah, David Goggins is a guy. Who I love him. I listened to his whole, like, audio book. Yeah. I swear, he made me feel like I could do anything. That's <laughs> awesome. Really? People should listen to it. It's called Counter Hurt Me. I've just started it, but... Uh, before that, I heard a quote a long time ago, but he's got the world record for the most pull-ups in like 24 hours. He did thousands. <laughs> That's how I heard about him first. But he, ha- his sl- like kind of mentality is most people quit at 40%. Wow. Mm. And you, I could kind of understand that in the overall perspective. Like you quit when you think you're done, not when you're actually done. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so true. Um, when I'm on the, the marathon, I'm fine. I'm like, look, I've started this. I'm going to finish yeah. it. But I've think about the people and their struggles and what they're confronted with when I'm lying in bed at 4.30 and my alarm's going off. And I'm yeah. like, I could just kill this mm. and go back to sleep. Yeah. yeah, do you know what I love about his book is how he describes the the physical attributes of pushing yourself, not to making yourself physically stronger, but to making yourself mentally stronger. And this is what you're gonna wh- what you're gonna hear when you listen to his book. That it's not about training your body; it's about training your mind. Yeah. And you train your mind so that 
you're physically training your body because it's training your mind and you're training your mind so that you can actually overcome anything that comes your way. And that's the point of it. So that if anything happens in your life, your mind is strong enough to be able to go, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's that's what I loved and what I took from his book. And then he just makes you feel so pumped. Like, it's amazing. I love it. I'm going to listen Listen to to it. And do you know what? The audio book is actually better because him and his friend who ghost wrote his book, uh, it's almost like a podcast. So after every chapter, they have like a little discussion about about it. And it's very like very colloquial, very just conversational. um, And it's it's so good. Yeah. Listen to yeah, yeah. Already, yeah, he he <coughs> he had a tough upbringing, mm. and then he tried. To, he wanted to do something with his life. He went for the Navy SEALs, and he failed out of it, and then decided to go again. And it's just about that struggle. Are you up to that part? He does it three times. I'm not even going to tell you what he does after because it's ridiculous. Like he's ridiculously intense. I don't know if I'm oh, I'm so excited. But yeah, he's mm. it's really good. He's uh He's going to be a big character in the world of motivation because he's just like, I'm not here to help you. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm doing my thing because I was once re- in a really yeah. bad place and now I'm just free and I'm doing what I love to do. That's um, awesome. I'm definitely listening to that. Yeah, but well, particularly if you want motivation for your Iron Man, because some of the things that he does is ridiculous. So he does three SEALs trainings. Then he goes, He, I think he's in the Air Force first, the para, uh, whatever they call the parachute people that jump out of planes. Then he goes into the SEALs, does the Hell Week three times. Then he tries to get into Delta Force, which is... Um, <clears throat> I think it's in the military, um, the elite military training. So he does that. Eventually, when he retires from the army, he becomes a um, a firefighter. So just intense, but amazing, very inspirational kind of. I would life. say though, the start of the book, I wasn't expecting it, is very heavy when he talks about his upbringing. Uh, it's like he had a tough upbringing. Um, so I wasn't expecting. I didn't know that about him, but. But anyway, yeah, it's a good book. Check it out. Yeah, and you're right. The audio book does they have the guy who reads the book and him have a conversation about every chapter after. What is the what is the guy's name? David Gogans and the book is Can't Hurt Me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then like have a look at his Instagram as well. Really inspirational. I uh, one of the things I like doing just on a personal note is like I love to listen to people who have amazing lives and it just makes you be like, oh, okay, I'm going to yeah. – I can do this. This yeah, is yeah, easy. Yeah. If you can do like 2,000 pull-ups, I'm going to do this. Wow. I can walk. Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So listening to somebody like him and he's just talking to you through your ears into your brain, you're just like, yes, yeah. <laughs> feeding your mind this amazing like yeah. – it's like, hmm – yeah. yeah, no, it's awesome. I would definitely recommend it for sure. We've digressed a lot. That's fine. <laughs> talking <laughs> about no, it's all about overcoming the struggles, isn't it? Like exactly. going back to the cancer uh, patients, you know, you can do it. There's a way. You just he does it by himself, which is hugely mm. impressive. Yeah. I would always recommend people to get a community around you. Yeah. Um, get a support mechanism. Get a trainer. Get your doctor. Get everybody talking. Get your friends and family to support you as much as they can. He does it all just solo. Like he's he's a bit crazy. Yeah, but the I think going back to and tying this all together, you're right about cancer patients or rehab patients. Um, <clears throat> more than anything else, it is about moving your body, but it's also about making your mind really resilient and strong and convincing it 
of something other than all of the crap it can speak to itself. Exactly. And a lot of the time, the stuff it talks to itself about is is rubbish. Like sometimes the things my mind says to me, I'm like, who are you? Like, don't live here, please. Go somewhere else. Um, and when you hear about all of these other inspirational stories, it really makes you feed your mind something else. Like... I'm going to do this or I'm going to do an Ironman yeah. or a marathon or crazy things. And really looking at the small victories and taking that small victories because some t- the most people, you, you don't look at the small victories, right? But there's always improvement. I know from, from the rehab guys, um, say for instance, ACL or ankle rehab, whatever the case is, they always come in and they're so demotivated. And the mm. first question they ask you is, am I ever going to be able to play again? Will I ever be able to do this again? And I, l- I actually love that part of the rehab because you can see them grow from not being able to go into a full squat to going into a single leg squat with a jump or, you know, mm. from not being able to walk on the treadmill properly to doing sprint intervals on the treadmill. So yeah. it's amazing. And just to take that small victories, whether it, it is you doing the 10K or mm. uh, you doing the marathon, you know, just to take the small victories of what you're doing at that, that moment. If you have overcome cancer, for instance, it's such a big victory. Like, take that and don't focus on the negative, you know. Take mm. take all the small victories and focus on the positive. Yeah, and you'll be surprised, like, how far you develop. I went to MOA the other day and I was sitting there <coughs> waiting, um, waiting for, I can't even remember what I was waiting for. And I remember looking at the bathroom there and looking. So, do you know where P.F. Chang's is? There's a bathroom really close to it. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, literally about two years ago, I went to the bathroom and I was like still on crutches and the distance, it's about 200 meters from the bathroom to where someone picks you up, like the exit of the mall. So that's 100, maybe 100 meters. I couldn't walk that on crutches. Like I was halfway through and I stopped and I had to sit down on the little like side thing and I was crying because I couldn't make it to the end. Wow. And yeah, I was in so much pain. I couldn't stand. My feet couldn't feel the floor underneath me because they hurt so much. And I remember thinking like the exit is so close. Like just get to the exit. There's a car there. You can get in a taxi. You can go home. Like it's so close. Like I can do this. I can walk 100 meters. And it was, it was such a small distance and now I think oh my god like I can walk 100 meters that's easy like oh it's crazy but it takes a long time that's what people don't realize like people think that healing is really quick and it's it's not at all it takes ages and it takes a lot of time anyway yeah well I think you have to focus on the little victories on these long journeys yeah like one of the best things that I remember from the rehab with the military guys was one of the guys coming back in after a weekend and saying I was able to play with my kids in the in the garden exactly he was able to play for the like his knee or I can't remember what it was but something didn't hurt him it was the first time and I was like that's why we do it that's why exactly. I do it it's not exactly. really to make this guy have a better six-pack you know get from 10% to 6% the other people can help that guy but you know for you to be able to play with your kids in a, in a after however many months of just being hurt that's life-changing for you and that's life-changing for your kids because now yeah. we can you can actually you know function better and give everybody more love and more happiness and more memories and all that so like that's the when you he might not have been able to run 10k but for him that's a huge victory exactly that's a huge thing so like you getting the, to the point of getting off your crutches that's as big a victory as somebody losing 10 kilos exactly you know? mm-hmm. so with those rehab guys yeah it's all about setting mini targets i think and 
oh, what are we going to be able to do? We'll make a little video how how poorly they are at something at the very beginning. Yeah. We'll leave that now. We'll come back to, to that in a year. Exactly. And then we'll show them again. And we go, look, see, da-da. And mm. that's not me or it's not you. It's them that's it's doing it. Yeah, it's, it's their hard work. Yeah. It's their efforts. So then, yeah. So what's so you got your thing then in the main goal this year, 2019. New goals, new year, new you. New year, new me. You know, I um, I put a post the other day on Instagram as well saying that there's a lot of people that are so against the New Year's resolutions and things. I'm all for it. I think it's a new beginning. I'm like probably 90% of the other population that you want to start your diet in the in the beginning of the new week. Who starts your diet on a Wednesday? Do you know, physically, no? I cannot do that. Mentally, there's, I can never start a diet on a Wednesday. I cannot. Ever. Like right now, I'm waiting for Sunday yes, so yes. I can start. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think it's it's great. It's New Year. It's a new opportu- mm. opportunity to reach your goals. Um, just make it more reasonable, more achievable so goals for me um definitely Ironman Dubai is a big one half Ironman um trying to qualify if I don't qualify it's not the end of the world I'm gonna then try and qualify in the next race um but yeah so Ironman World Champs is a big one um yeah cool and then where can people follow your stuff and get in touch with you online what's your sort of handles on on Instagram or whatever so my handle is Anya Talyard uh, underscore PTC so my name and my surname I'm going to spell both of those be- for people who aren't Afrikaans <laughs> so it is A-N-J-A T-A-L J-A-A-R-D underscore PTC um, on Instagram and just my name and my surname so Anya Talyard at um, on Facebook cool that's All right, so if anyone has any questions or whatever, mm-hmm. they send them your way. Yeah, awesome. sure. Amazing. Thank, Thank you, guys. So Thank you so much. Thank you. So see you guys. Bye. Bye.